Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the American Scouser podcast. I am Galley filling in once again for Timuchin, who I guess just has to decide he's a better parent and person than all of us, Paul, because he makes road trips on away games on Monday nights and misses podcasts. So I give him a lot of credit for that, and he only has one more season, as he keeps reminding us, left of these games. So hopefully... Layla is probably as disappointed in him as we would be if he were here. His priorities are all out of whack. They always have been, you know, it's always family trivia. Like, I mean, we're at the bottom of the, we're at the bottom of the ring. So I don't know. We absolutely do fall in at the bottom of the ranks. Who is not at the bottom of the ranks? That is Alan from Houston, who, as always, is our first person chiming in. Greetings, Alan. Thank you, as always, for anyone else catching on with us tonight for the first time or many times. Please jump in with your comments. Give us some type of questions. And to Alan's next comment, no, there will be no trivia. That is exactly what makes this a good show. I always like to say there's two ways you know that there'll be a good show. If Timuchin doesn't do the open, it means we won't have trivia. And if those two things happen, everything is good in the world. BJ, we love and miss you. Get well soon and get back to us. Give me some questions I probably won't know the answer to. Um, Brian Shelton says, good evening. Brian, I'm not sure what kind of Easter meats you cooked up. But I hope they were wonderful because I'm sure they were smoked and something good with a good IPA that went with it. Brian Shelton's our Dave Grohl. Absolutely. Um, so as we get into this one, Paul, we haven't had um, we haven't had a podcast in a full week. Um, last time we were on here was the two of us, so there hasn't been any conversations since the Chelsea match. And we are not going to spend much time, as me and you realized on Saturday, we both basically forgot about the match as we were arguing things that we <laughs> said last match. And both of us were talking about last weekend against City. Uh, and there was a match on Tuesday against Chelsea. We were supposed oh. to be like non-paid journalists that follow this team. I said some like awful trauma response when you like – physically can't recall something that just happened. Oh. Well, we are going to just quickly look at the lineup here. Um, the lineup from Tuesday. So coming off the city match, which we both felt was really, really pitiful and maybe one of the worst performances they put out there in a while to then come out and make all these changes that he made. Specifically, I want to start with dropping Mo. Was that just a rest situation or was that a statement to a player who, in his mind, wasn't living up to the billing and importance of the club? I mean, I know it's not sexy, but I feel like it was just probably a rest thing. I don't know how you start Mo three games in a row, like on the on the back to back to back of those short successions rolling out of city into Chelsea and then, then on Arsenal. So uh, to me, it's probably just a, a rotational piece. Like he just picked his spot and that was going to be a spot where he rotated heavily a couple of those key pieces. So I, I went with Mo first cause I feel like he is the biggest star and the highest paid player and the biggest player at the club. We've seen him play 
three matches in seven days many times before for this club because Jurgen doesn't like to sit him. Since he come to this club, I think he's literally made the least amount of uh, substitute appearances of any player at the club. But I'll go off the Mo question then. If it was just rest and rotation, I'll take that. Was Virgil really sick? Or was Klopp sick of watching him play but didn't want him sitting on the bench because then he'd have to bring him in at some point when he really knew he needed a break? So this is an interesting one, right? Because I've been like – I've been killing Virg. Not, I mean, not really like killing him, but just like – I like he just looks like a player who's done. You know, we talked about this. Like to me, like he just looks like he, that goose has been cooked and it's no longer – like he just doesn't have – the steam he used to have. And I don't know if he's going to get that back or not. Well, we got to, we got to keep in mind that over the international break, there is that alleged food poisoning incident with the Netherlands where apparently like half that team, if not most of the team was sick. Right. So like, then I think about, well, what if Virgil had that came back and was still sick played, obviously didn't play well through it. So they just made the choice that like, all right, you, we're going to give you this additional rest. You kick this out of your system. That's my glass half full, fingers crossed. Do I know that that's what happened? I, I think me believing that is probably not being honest with my evaluation of Verge prior to the international break. I, I, I love the idea. My only question would be, can you explain to me how the food poisoning came back for the first 45 minutes against Arsenal where he arguably – help them score two goals because he looked just as lost in those first 45 minutes against Arsenal as he did back against city and during the international break when said food poisoning was happening. Um, I love the conspiracy idea and I, I want to be a glass has full guy. I think we've both been questioning where Virgil was and more importantly, where Virgil's reaction is to his performances. And for me, that's the most and more alarming factor. Isn't that he looks like he's a drop, a step off or a drop off from his old level? It's that he's actually still acting like, like it's not happening, like a man in denial. And that's what scares me more because I think if you start to lose the little nuances that make you that 2%, 3% better than everyone else, what scares me is when like the arrogance is still there that he believes he's still the Rolls Royce when right. really it's like a Buick Enclave, like rolling on in and like, he's just competing like everyone else. And I think that's what scares me a little bit. Cause I saw a little more of that in the first half against Arsenal. And I think we could have conceded more goals than we did in that first half. And I think we could have attributed a lot to Virgil and then social media would have just blamed Trent. Yes. I, you know, I gotta be honest with you. I thought we started the game pretty well and I thought that we finished the first half. I, I really think we had 15 minutes of football where we looked like we just shut off completely. And, and I felt like we could have gone down, like you said, probably three, four in those 15. But I thought other than those that, that weird 15-minute window, I thought we played relatively well throughout the entire match. And, yeah, so I don't know what to say 
what else we can say about the Verge situation. There's obviously something going on there, a clear disconnect between what he's capable of and, and, and what he thinks he's capable of. Um, and I don't know. I think we're all holding on to the slim chance that he can play his way out of this, you know, but like it, it, it's just interesting. I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I think this is what it is, but we are looking at a team that's so – has us so in flux, right? We talk about how Fabinho looks done, how Henderson looks done at times. And then like we have put in performances like we did against Arsenal where like Fabinho was back to dropping long diagonals and over the top. Henderson was back to his best in dictating pace and distribution and really setting the teeth of the midfield. And like all these pieces that we said have collectively have been shit all year are all collectively good again. And and so like I think it's it's real tough for us to like – we're, we're seeking for some closure here, but we're like hanging on to these glimpses that we keep seeing. So when we look at that lineup that started against Arsenal, um, were you shocked that Klopp went back to his tried and trusted back four? I, I, I thought there might be a chance that Alexander Arnold would get another uh, spot on the bench, to be honest. I thought it might be Milner or Gomez. To start it right back. That was the only one I questioned. Now, once I saw tactically what he did with kind of tucking him into midfield, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more from a positional standpoint. Any other surprises in this lineup for you? Obviously, Jones getting the second start in a row. Well, I think I, what I was hoping for is that, like, with Nunez getting minutes on the back of this, that he would ease himself into a start. But it looks like it's, he's going to have a preferred path of – off the bench impact. So I, I just expected to see that if it was available. Um, I really thought that this midfield was the midfield. that I think, I mean, even though we thought we were collectively shit, I, I think that like, I felt like maybe Klopp felt pretty good about that midfield going out anyway. So I expected this midfield and with this midfield, I did think that it was probably going to be Trent, but yeah, you could have said something for Gomez. Uh, but this is pretty close to to what I thought we'd see outside of the the Nunez thing and me not liking Joe on the left side. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think uh, Brian Shelton says Jota was a surprise. Uh, he was a surprise for me as well. I thought Nunez – I mean, Nunez did start against Chelsea, and I thought he actually played well against Chelsea. And I think Nunez was one of the best players on the pitch in the second half when we got – going and we're playing really well. So maybe that's what Klopp had all along. His idea was to get Nunez going at that kind of weak Arsenal back line. And I still think, and I've been saying this all year long, like I think Gabriel is a top, top class defender. And I think Saliba is much better than people thought. But other than that, I think the entire Arsenal back line outside of Ramsdale is really just pedestrian. And I think if you put them in spots late in the game, they'll make mistakes and you can score on them. And I think in some ways I like what Klopp did by keeping Bobby and Nunez on the bench to really attack them late. And in some ways, even Elliot, like if you needed a midfielder to come in and create and change things, you were bringing on a game changer. And in this case, you know, I've, we all know I've had my gripes around Jones, um, wasn't exactly excited he started against Chelsea, but he played really, really well. And I'm actually really happy that Klopp 
gave him a start because I think it shows players that if you put in a performance when no one else is, you'll you'll earn the right to hold your jersey for another week. And I think Jones did that. And I I actually expect Jones to start next weekend too. Because at this point, Tiago has to earn – this is crazy to say this out loud. Tiago has to earn the right to take Curtis Jones' jersey away from him. Cause, but, I, but I also think, you know, like – because I, I think we've collectively been under – I think we've collectively been in agreement that, like, Jones probably isn't good enough, right, for this level. I mean, is that fair? Completely. Okay. All right. So, but then, you know – Shout out to Kazi who likes to stir the pot. He brought up with me like, yeah, but he needs consistent starts, which we haven't seen in a long, long time. Right? Which is and then I and then I get to thinking that's that's pretty fair, right? So for me, this whole situation is is like with the league where it is and this squad where it is, why not start him the rest of the way and figure out what exactly we have? with a consistent run with the core nucleus around them. Like for me, this is, this is essentially like a five, six week run out where you can make a really firm decision on a player one way or the other. Um, so I'm good with him starting the rest of the way. I, I mean, I think you're right. I think Tiago at this point has got to earn it off of somebody. Um, and, you know, if he has to do that, maybe consistently he'll stay healthy because he's limited in use. I don't know. Yeah, I want to while we're while we're talking about guys earning starts and and staying on healthy, I I think in some ways we should really talk about Jordan Henderson from the standpoint that I thought he was really really good yesterday, and I think that he's he had moments in yesterday's match. I mean, leading up to both the goals, he was everything positive in them. But we can still see a guy who is definitely losing a step and at times. For me, yesterday seemed like one of those days where like it's a pure example of what Jordan Henderson's supposed to be for this side moving forward, which is a guy who plays in a match when you need your actual club captain to start and finish against like top of the side talent in your building where everything's stacked against you. And he gives you like a virtuoso performance. Yeah. I think there also has to be an understanding that that's supposed to happen one out of every three matches with him right. also playing like a five minute cameo. Yeah. Like it doesn't need to be happening at palace away. Correct. <laughs> like, am I off there, Paul? Like, am I, or am no. I, or do you see it that way too? Because I think about like Steven Gerrard at the end playing way too many minutes and us kind of being like, oh, and then like he comes on against United in a big stop spot and stomps on a guy, right, to just end it. And I feel like we we have the role for Jordan Henderson, and it's James Milner. So I mean, I th- I think the situation is is like we're just limping over the line until the summer. Because, like, for me, it makes perfect sense to have two stud midfielders in, t- in front of him that he can just rotate through and they can rotate out and he can come in and, and kill off games and then give you the occasional 90 start to start. Um, but, I mean, we're not there depth-wise. We're just not there. I mean, I, Nabby, not going to rely on him. Tiago, can't rely on him. Milner, I mean, you can rely on him, but should you at, like, 
my age. Uh, like, I, I just think uh, the depth's not there. Harvey, I mean, that this poor kid, like, bless him, because I think he's been put in some extremely tough situations and punched above his weight in a position that he's not the best in. That's why he doesn't belong in that spot. I mean, it's not the best for his development or the best for the side. So I don't really count that as an option. So, I mean, you're really just sort of – you're just really sort of slinging mud at a wall at this point in that one spot until the rest of the season when you can bring in reinforcements and then he can rotate through at the back end. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that sentiment and I think we just we definitely need to buy we know that we're not going to go into transfers tonight like I think we had a good week here we played three matches since the last time we talked um obviously or two matches since the last time we talked and we're still getting over the city one and there's no reason to sit here and talk about transfers at this point when we actually are starting to see the side turn around but if we look at the match against Arsenal obviously I felt like you, we started well. We had a lull in the middle there where they scored the two weak goals. Um, I think this is an interesting kind of point. Sparky Parky brings up, you know, what do you think about Trent being everywhere except right back when we are so open at right back at the moment? And it's funny because, you know, we have joked um, we have joked on this podcast a numerous times about all the people who scream about moving Trent to midfield, which I found this quote from Klopp a little funny where he was talking about Trent on playing in the midfield. And he was like, we need to get used to it. Obviously I would say it is a big step to do that in a game against Arsenal. It opened up different opportunities for us. If you watch it back, you will see that it will have to be learned when to use it. And I'm not going to read the whole quote, but Paul, is it not one of the most disingenuous things for Jurgen Klopp ever to do to basically talk about playing Trent in the midfield? Like we've seen this a bunch of times in the past when we all know it's the first time we've ever seen him basically take Pep's tactics that he created about 95 days ago and started utilizing this season with city. I mean, it is, this is, if we were any other club, right. We would be shitting on this manager left, right and center. So, so I think Jurgen is a legendary leader and I think he's incredible at building a culture and in, in, in building Agreed. a great positive club and family atmosphere. But I've said since the beginning, that he's also a world-class bullshitter and he gets away with it because he's got a Cheshire grin and a nice soft, fluffy German beard. And look, I love Jurgen, but he can talk out of both sides of his mouth with the best of them. He is, he's more, uh, he's more snakeskin than he is a white collar. I mean, it's just, it's, I don't know. That's, that's Jurgen. I love, I love it though. Oh, man. It's it's absolutely just hilarious. Like, he talks about playing him in the midfield. So let's talk about the tactical positioning of him during this match. Do you think it contributed to more play for Martinelli down the left-hand side? Do you think that had more to do with 
Henderson not dropping back enough and kind of understanding where the positional awareness was it maybe Trent just went and took the offensive minded positioning he was given the freelancing and just took advantage of it and left too much open because it did feel a lot of times that Kanate was exposed, especially in the first half. I mean, I think that's an, <laughs> we adjust that tactic almost game to game. So I think it's impossible to tell, but what I can say is that I think we put far too much emphasis on that and not enough emphasis on the fact that Martinelli's really fucking good. <laughs> like, like, so, I mean, I think we need to, to acknowledge that, but Trent's always going to struggle on that right side with that positional awareness, right? I mean, we know that. I think, you know, Henderson's designed usually to tuck under there, but that adjusts depending on the game and in in the circumstance. So I, I don't know how you can conscionably put Trent in a position consistently in this side of the midfield, in this midfield system that demands so much of positional awareness and, and think that that's going to turn out well for anybody. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I I felt like in this matchup, there was a lot made about Trent playing in this like six role and, and drifting into the midfield and all the space open on the right. At the same time, we were creating everything we were down our right-hand side by, attack, by attacking Zinchenko and trying to get into the space behind him. So we were ultimately just kind of flip-flopping Arteta's tactics on themselves except for by putting Trent in the midfield, it allowed us to actually, for the first time in a long time, have an extra body in the midfield, which allowed us to actually yeah. win that space. And even when we weren't pressing in the first half, we were still winning the ball back in competitive situations, which is ultimately what ended up leading to the goal that we did score. Um, in the second half, I do feel like the game shifted the momentum. I think, you know, I don't know what it was Klopp did at halftime, whether it was just kind of talking to the guys and saying, like, these guys are going to win a title to here. This team might win a title today in your stadium if you don't get a result by the end of it. And I don't think he was saying that so, like, the guys would be rallied to help City win the title. But, like, I think if Arsenal leaves Anfield with three points yesterday, they actually win the league. And I've been saying they would lose it since the first pundit said they were going to win it. And I've stayed steadfast to that. And I still think now that they will bottle this. Like I genuinely believe city will run this thing out. And I think they'll win on goal differential at worst. And I, it's crazy to say it, but I think that's what will end up happening. That'd be wild. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what was said to any of these guys, and I really think going, just going into this match in general, the mindset looked that's of the team looked different. Like they looked interested in attacking. They didn't look like they were just trying to maintain control and possession without intent. Like I just thought this team looked different throughout. And if you look at the way we finished the first half, like we finished the first half just like we started the second half. Uh, which was just completely jamming the ball down their throat. And I think when you look at this team, for me, I, I really criticized our performance on City because of our reaction to them equalizing and we just hanging our heads like we were done. Well, like I thought the reaction to us going down 2-0 was the opposite. 
And I, I think agree. that that's, that reaction to going down 2-0 is what causes us to be physical and cause Xhaka to go in late on Trent and then that situation to to turn into what it was and just get the momentum going and the, the fire stoked. It shouldn't take that. But, like, for whatever reason, the mentality today was different. It was different than what it was when we played City. And I, and, and that's what's crazy is, is there shouldn't – those. Those two games, you shouldn't. There shouldn't be a difference in how you approach those games. There definitely shouldn't be. I think. I think the fact that we were at home, um, obviously, I think that plays a little bit of a role in anything. Just having the Anfield crowd behind them and the emotion behind it there. I think the other fact of the matter that it was a big day in the stadium recognizing you know the 97 before the match i think that always plays into the emotions of the players and then the last piece of it whether we like it or not i think we knew going into last week's match that it didn't really matter whether we beat city or not we weren't we weren't getting back to top four by the end of the season like because we just aren't consistent enough we went to chelsea and couldn't score and then we you know, draw a match we should have won even though we were down 2-0 and probably should have lost to the league leaders at home. Like, that's the type yeah. of week we have. We go one up on City, then we, when we could have been down 3-0 at the time. Yeah. Then we lose 4-1. Then we draw in a, the most drub, you know, <laughs> Chelsea-Liverpool match of all time on a Tuesday that, little- that we both <laughs> I, like I, the only it. other game that I can remember being that bad was when we played Wolves and we started with Balotelli up top in Lambert, and like that's the only other. But that's like the level of bad it was. Oh. Yeah, and that, and that just says it all, right? And, and I look back at those type of moments and then think about this time where we're like really frustrated and banging our heads, and we realize we don't really have it that bad. We just have had it so good for so long that we just can't even like quantify this. And there, there was a comment up here in the chat and I don't want to, I don't want to skip over to, it was from James Flynn, who I think is actually a a new listener. And he he asked also, do you think we will get to the top four? And the answer to that is no goddamn chance. Like I think if we ran the table, I'm not sure Newcastle or United will drop enough points between now and then let alone Brighton and Tottenham. Like, I think, honestly, the real question right now is, can we get to sixth or seventh and literally qualify for Europa, or would we be better off just finishing, kind of chalking it up, finishing eighth, not having any European competitions next year to compete with? Because last time I checked, you know, top talent wasn't looking to get into the conference. Yeah, those night games and like those crazy Eastern Bloc countries. Oh. A Thursday in Azerbaijan does not yeah. sound like anything yeah. this side needs. Because anyone who remembers what Thursday, Sunday is like, it's brutal. Because it's just you're playing on a rubber pitch on a Thursday in like subarctic temperatures in March. And then you got to come back and play Sunday afternoon at a you know at lunchtime UK time in London, 
and both yeah, you're games are unpacking on the road. your like, bags on Friday. You have no. You turn around and travel on Saturday and kick off the next day. Brutal. Brutal. There's a reason that uh, when Spurs used to qualify for Europa League every year, Harry Redknapp would send out like the U14 team, and they'd be <laughs> like, "You know, you have a U18 team, right?" And and he would say things like. I know, but they might win this match. <laughs> like <laughs> when he would be playing young boys in Austria or something, right? And he'd be like, I know, but they might win. Like it was just so brutal. And but he was he was right because his side was so was so thin he didn't want him playing. So um before we get off and talk a little bit more about this Arsenal match in the second half and how the substitutes changed the match and what we expect from the side, let's talk a little bit about what we have going on right now. Um Anyone who's been following the podcast, the website, or our Twitter pages know that we are running a fundraiser um, on behalf of everyone here at American Scouser, just trying to raise money for the children and families in Turkey and Syria um, from everyone who knows from the devastating earthquakes that they had. Um, I'm going to post a link right now in the comments it is to our live auction pages. Um, there's, I think it's 38 great prizes and uh, items that you can bid on. There is also a GoFundMe link uh, if you would rather just contribute either cash or some form of donation. Every dollar is going overseas to help these folks. They need it more than you even know. Whether it's a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, um, we started out as the contributor channel trying to put down a big donation to kick it off. And we're just really hoping that we can give back. So Stamuchin's not here tonight. We wanted to just make sure and bring this up, share the links, and we hope you will all check out the silent auction items and make a bid because it will help folks who need it more than you would ever know. So thank you for all the help. And if you can't contribute, we completely understand. Please find that link, share it, you know, find our posts on our Facebook pages, share those to your local groups, ask folks that, you know, would contribute. A share is just as good as a contribution at this point, because it's one more or 50 more people that might see this that wouldn't have seen it otherwise. So thank you for all your support. And we'll get back to talking about the idiots on the pitch. So I got to say this, Paul. It always makes me really happy when Tamushin's not here because it allows us to spend some time actually recognizing one of the people that I think he does not give enough attention to, oh. which is Bobby Firmino. Oh. Um, honestly, I can't even read these words without crying. Um, so I'm just going to say anyone who hasn't seen Bobby's quotes from the last match where he talks about his heart being broken for leaving this club and finally actually referencing it after just yet another amazing goal against Arsenal. It's a beautiful legacy with a beautiful history at such a big club. I'm very happy and grateful to God for everything we have built here. But it's a new situation for me. I've never been through it. I've been praying a lot to God to keep me and help me in this process. I'm working hard, 
always ready to help this team, and we're together until the end. I want to finish well here with my teammates. I won't say much because otherwise I'll get emotional. And honestly, just reading that, it makes me emotional. And this is the guy who gets criticized here for not being a big enough fan of Bobby. But the reason I wanted to bring up this quote, and I know I poked a little fun at Tamuchin. If he were here, it would have been even more fun. But the thing about this that really hits hard for me is it's yet another moment we need it. Brilliance. And he delivered again. And it's not even it. If you rewatch the thing five times, you will see great overlaps. You will see a world class cross. But you'll also see a guy, literally see it coming about twenty five seconds before it happened. He peels off. He just he knows exactly what's going to happen, and it's just it's soft. It's cushioned, and. Everyone in the stadium knew who scored it the moment it happened. It was just class. I mean, he's my favorite player that ever was for Liverpool. I mean, just I I can't say enough about it. Like the way that he is going out, his swan song is so profoundly poetic in how he his performances uh, with him leaving. Um. I think like he handles himself with such a tremendous amount of grace. Like I think, which isn't common in modern sports anymore. It's it's just not like people are bad at goodbyes. Business gets in the way. Um, there's not enough actual emotional attachment to these things anymore. Like there used to be when, you know, players were with clubs for longer periods in, in pro sports. I think the money's kind of made it. So the people shift so much, there isn't that attachment. Um, so it, it's so good to see from Bobby, uh, watching him is sad for me because I know it's an end, right? I know this is the chapter closing for him. So I get joy watching him score, but it's funny because like in my heart, I feel sad. And when you watch him score, I felt sadness from him, like in his face, because like, I felt he looked heavy hearted, um, and that's that's super emotional to to go through as a as a fan and as a player. And I think I felt really in the same spot as Bobby uh, when I watched him do that. Um, so always a legend. We'll always miss him. There'll never be a, another Bobby Firmino. No, there absolutely won't be. I I know like you mentioned Kazi earlier, and I think it was like ten minutes after the game, Kazi was like, "They have to be figuring out a way to convince this guy to sign a new contract because like." He still does loads for this team that nobody else does. And I I think it gets overlooked at like how much better the whole offense was working once he came on the pitch because we immediately had our press back and we were winning the ball high up the pitch. And I mean he was in the spine the in our glory years, the spine was Allison, Verge, Fabinho, Firmino up yeah. the middle. That was the spine. Everything- Right. Everyone everyone gave all the plaudits to Salah and Mane for rightfully for all their talents and 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 would you know everyone would remember a big goal by by Genie or what Trent and Rabo did. But the truth was 
it really all started and ended really up top with Bobby. And and what people don't remember is is like he was the big first like surprise great signing. He was the unicorn. Like we all call him that, but like he was supposed to be the guy when he was signed from Hoffenheim. I mean, it was one of the big, it was Brendan Rogers' greatest signing at the club. It was one of the first times in modern football history that we had actually snuck under and took and pipped United for a transfer. It was the first time that had happened in, in ages. During a time when United was dominant in the transfer market. And people forget that, you know, and I, I think that's the part where, you know, and then and then Klopp showed up and and you know, I think Rogers gets some stick at times. We've talked about this for like what he really did well here in the this is Liverpool TV shows a, and all who he is as a human being. All that stuff. Right. And the, just, the envelopes and all bad. the shtick. All the shtick, right? That that comes with Brendan Rogers. But ultimately, one of the things Klopp did was was walk into a decent core of players. There were some youth players there, and there were a few star players in Firmino and Henderson and Lalana. even. I mean, you know, Klopp will tell you at the beginning, Lalana was the most important midfielder we had because he was the one guy who understood – how to play the way he wanted from day one, which is why when when Adam Lallana was healthy, he was the first name on maybe with Bobby right there on the team sheet, right? And then he had Origi, and he had he had players who learned how to play his way. And then he did everything else. Don't get me wrong. He made these players better. But I think it gets lost in that, that he actually inherited a side that was almost being built to his model. They just yeah. needed his tutelage to go to the next level. And then he started to bring in actually like the level of quality. So I think Which I actually kinda... have a theory that he was hired like three months before we brought him on. Oh, I, I, that I, there was an agreement because it was like the transfers that happened during that transfer windows are like, you're going to tell me, Oh, he just, we just happened to get Bobby Firmino who had German ties it is a fucking unicorn that would fit perfectly into a Gengen high press. You're telling well, me he was there. Window. He, he was there one season before. He was there a full year with Rodgers. And then it was the next year that, that Klopp came in. Oh, well, then so, you got to throw that conspiracy theory out the window. That was a fun that one. That one, it was a good one, though. All right. But there were, I mean, so if we look at this side now moving forward, right? We know what we have coming up. We have a run-in that ultimately is just about, in my opinion, preparing for next season. And I like something that you talked about earlier, um, you know, with regards to Jones. This is this is a run of matches to find out if Curtis Jones belongs here. Because here's the thing. If you don't have to sell Curtis Jones, even if he's a squad player fighting for spots, it is a huge advantage. You have him. He's under reasonable contract. Um, you know that he, he's a homegrown player. He's You know who he is and everything about him, and he knows the club. You know, if you think he's Connor Gallagher or a lower version and could become it, then you don't make that type of a lateral move for a player like that, and you keep this player. 
That's a if really good cop, actually. That's a great cop. He does play a lot like Gallagher. That's wild. And, good one. Nice. And I think that's why I've always said, I think if he went to a place like Palace and was allowed to be creative and have two guys covering him behind him that he wasn't afraid of making a mistake and it conceding a goal in a big spot. I think he could be Connor Gallagher and score goals and pop up in the box and get a worldie here and there and probably get sent off every once in a while for being a petulant <laughs> yeah. little prick. Like it, it all looks the same. Yeah, they, they, look this, I'm telling they, you, it's they such are, a good cop. Yep. They, they're, they're cut from the same English fucking cloth. Um, yep. But at the That's same great. time, at the same time, you put either one of them in Liverpool or Chelsea setups playing that way, and they make that same mistake, and everyone's yes, like, they're oh, they're just some – they're a liability. They shouldn't be there. So I would love for him to prove me wrong and find a role. I still think he's like your fifth or sixth, seventh midfielder in a good rotational side at this level. I don't think he's a, a starter at this club, but it wouldn't bother me or chafe me one bit to see him start over Tiago or Henderson a bunch of the way down the stretch. And that goes the same for Elliot. I'd give I'd give Carvalho a starter too if I could. Like I'd be starting any yeah, player. Situation's crazy. I would be starting any player I question where I need to know their role is for next year. Because in this offseason where we know they're going to really be turning over the side, I think you have to know who your starters are, who needs to be replaced, and who is your squad. And I think we have as many questions about who our squad is as we do our 11. And that's to me, is really scary. Yeah, I totally agree. And that is a scary proposition because, like, you're doing your trust in the transfer window to line up with specific needs you have that have to fit specific holes and you're dealing with the same issue on the squad side, it's not a good spot. So, yeah. Uh, if you were looking at beyond the Bellinghams, obviously we've talked about the mounts and the, and the midfielders. What outside of the midfield, Paul, what are you focusing on? in this transfer window, assuming we get in maybe four, I mean, maybe five would be a high stretch. I don't, I don't see us signing five new players, but maybe we will. Outside of the midfield, I'm looking for another center back, like a top tier center back. I mean, we talk about, I mean, obviously the big one's Gavardio. That's the one I want. That's the one that makes the most sense. He's a Liverpool's, a fan since he was a kid. I think he's like, we should be able to meet that release clause. It's not crazy. Um, that's what makes the most sense. But I mean, you know that we've got 25 center back options out there, probably already lined up at least 12 of them. We've probably never even thought about or heard of before. Um, so, and then probably four or five of those are just market vulnerabilities where we're able to get a player for like a fraction of what we should be able to get them for. And then, can flip them. So, I mean, there's going to be a center back needs to be addressed. Uh, And then for me, uh, outside of midfield, I really would like them to see specifically see a right-sided attacker. Uh, I mean, we talked about this before and we know that there's going to be some iteration where we suspect maybe Luis Diaz plays on that side, but I I would just like to see us go and get a proper right-sided attacker 
um, to, to like to back up Mo uh, on that side. Alan says, what about Evan? I think it's Indica. Um, he's a very, very good player and he is left footed. Um, I think that is a good call. I think the, the, um, South Korean player that I can never pronounce his name from Napoli, who is an outstanding talent that was at Fernabachi uh, last year. Um, I think he would be another outstanding idea. I'm not sure they'll go that far up. I've, I've said all along, it's part of the reason I think Mason Mount is such a good buy is that he gives you midfield depth and attacking right wing cover. Uh, Cause he can play in the, on the front side of a right front three and also offers you something through the middle. Um, I keep coming back to the fact that as much as I want them to go out and buy, you know, a center back or an attacker, I think it'll be two big midfielders. For whatever reason, I feel like we'll probably see some player leave that we don't expect. And what I mean by that is like, I could see like, a bid coming in and Costas being like, I want to start. I want to play. Like, yep. I proved I'm actually good enough that people think I should actually be able to sometimes start over Rabo at Liverpool. Like I shouldn't be reserved to 12 starts and eight substitute appearances in a, in a whole calendar mm-hmm. year. Um, a player like that. So maybe we have to buy a fullback or buy another player. It'll be interesting there. I still think it's going to have a lot to do with who leaves and what the outgoings seem like. But I also think that, you know, at some point these deals are going to come in and we've all talked about it. You know, Brian Shelton says he still thinks Salah is off. I I made this comment last year when they signed the deal that I thought it felt like it might be kind of a contract to allow you to sell the player. This season wouldn't exactly scream don't sell the player, but also isn't exactly selling high. Um, he hasn't been bad by any means. Um, I also question whether or not Mo Salah at 31 years old is willing to play a year outside of Europe and no guarantee you get into Europe next year. Cause there's no guarantee Liverpool comes back. And let's be honest, people like we're going to talk a little bit here with the last 10 or 15 minutes about the league on a whole. Um, this Newcastle team is not going anywhere. They did this without spending any of that dirty blood oil money yet. They're going to spend that oil money now that they're in the Champions League and they actually have a reason to spend it. And, like, it's just another team that is going to compete at a high level. So I just... To be fair, they are... they In the last five years, they do have the top net spend. So they have spent, but you're right. Once they start getting revenue and Champions League money in, they're going to ratchet it up. This is where I come back to. I just I, – I, I see that this team – like it's not just them. Arsenal's going to keep spending. Eventually, Spurs Stadium is going to invest money into them. Like, Chelsea is still spending crazy, and they're 11th in the table. Like, all they have to do is get it right – they hire Carlo Ancelotti as manager. That team will win games. <laughs> they will. I mean, we, we, but this is, this is right. Like this is the league we're in now. 
you know, United is actually playing good football again. You And then you have guys like Deserby building Brighton the way they are. Like the money that is being injected into this league is showing that if you don't make mistakes, you will compete and continue to get better. And Brighton and Brentford and all these little clubs are proving that you, you don't have to be afraid of playing real football against these bigger sides and, and doing well, you know, unless VAR so Are you saying that regardless, even with state-owned teams, the league is getting more competitive just by sheer influx of cash? I think it is. I think we're seeing wow. it. That's a but hot look take. Look at the league. Look at the league. You have asked. I know, but like, like, I think most people would look at this league and be like, hey, it's been a two team league for fucking 10 years between City and Liverpool. I would agree that it's been a two team. Well, it's about six years, but but I'm I'm with you. It's been a, a multi team league, but really it's just been Liverpool competing with City. Right. But at this point, right, you have Brighton, Brentford, and Villa comfortably above Chelsea and Liverpool with a net spend of much less. But why? Because they spent it right. But what did they spend? Crazy TV money. And we've talked about this. Bournemouth. I think two things can be true. Bournemouth salary, right? Bournemouth. Their salary is larger than AC Milan's. Look, I think think two things can be true. I think it can be true that the influx of cash – has made the league as a whole more competitive. And I think it can also be true that state-owned teams can basically suck this bone dry and affect the league as well. Like, I think both can happen. Like, I well, because, we like, I think... That. You, we've watched that. I mean, we've watched right. what the state-owned teams can do from a, a, a non-competitive balance of, of, of what they try to maintain. The point is, is this is this is a league, right, where the money that comes in allows them to spend at levels that nowhere, no other league in the entire world spends like. There's no league in the world where I mean, um, the guy there, the the striker, it's going to drive me crazy because he's the one who went through the testicular cancer for, he was on a, he was a West Ham striker. He went to Ajax. Yeah. He was great. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I do. And then he ended up at Dortmund. But that striker is West Ham's all time, like the biggest buy in the history of the club. It was the, it, this was a team that wasn't even turning a profit at the time they bought this player. They spent 50 or 60 million pounds on a striker. And like, it was like the second or third largest transfer would have been the second or third largest transfer in like the history of the Bundesliga. And it was West Ham buying a striker, Sebastian Allaire. Thank you, Trevor. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And congratulations to Sebastian Allaire for overcoming the cancer treatments and being back on the pitch. It's awesome. But it it it's it is one of those like it's one of those things that I think gets overlooked when it comes to the Premier League. Is not just the a 
amount of money that they have, it's the ability for them. And we've talked about this before. It's like what separates city and other teams in the transfer market is city. Isn't afraid to make mistakes. Chelsea isn't afraid to make mistakes. Also, when you say the margin of error is significantly greater for the clubs that are, you know, like have these huge spending potentials, right? Like, I mean, the larger revenues and stuff, I mean, the bigger the club, the bigger the revenue, the, the, you know, the bigger your ownership is like from a monetary standpoint, your margin of error has got to be greater. So I think that's where you can start to argue where, where the inefficiencies sort of line up. No, you're definitely right with the inefficiency side of things. I mean, ultimately, a club like City, a club uh, like Chelsea, we know how they operate in the market. I'd argue they make, or especially City, City makes a lot less mistakes than like a Chelsea or a United. I feel like Spurs, Arsenal, they go, they kind of like overstep, or they did for years. They, I feel like they hit that 50 keep up. Right. Where I think clubs like Liverpool really have to make sure that they hit on their transfers and they get everything right. So before we get out, last little topic. I didn't want to be negative today. I honestly didn't, which is why we stayed kind of like high level on the matches. Um, Because I felt like it was a really good effort yesterday. And for once, it felt like it was my club playing football in a big match. Like, I never felt in the second half like we weren't going to get a point out of that or get something out of it. And at the end, I felt like if this were last year or the year before, we would have scored one of those game-winning chances because that's how everything broke. So it was almost like it was coming back. Um, But to kind of roll it back a little bit and just talk about the one glaring negative from the match, and Klopp talked about it, with two minutes to go, I know you weren't a striker who took a penalty during the match. I took one in my career during a match. If you're Jurgen Klopp, are you actually having the conversation he told the media that he was having and taking Mo off penalties? No. 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 I don't think you can. I I, I mean I don't I don't I don't see that conversation happening. I don't think you because he's he's consistently been our most dangerous output all year. So you're telling me you're going to jeopardize his form for the rest of the year? Off a con- off, off. I mean, is he going to be go- like? There's he could be gone in the summer anyway. So I mean, you could be like, all right, well, if we fuck his form, he's he's fucked off to PSG or wherever anyway. But like, I just don't see that. Just doesn't even strike me as something Jurgen would do. Like, it just doesn't fit with his personality. I mean. I understand to be like, oh, well, we'll just have Fabinho bang him in. But like that, we as supporters make decisions like without thinking about the actual impact that kind of stuff has on individual players and the team as a whole as well. Yeah, I honestly, I I do think the conversation happens. I think if Klopp goes to the media and says, I'm going to have a conversation with him about should he be taking the penalties? I think it's more along the lines of, do you still want to be taking these penalties? Because it's one thing to have a couple stopped or a worldly save and a bad, you know, where you kick the ground or you kick your plant foot. He missed the target twice yeah. in meaningful spots in a month. That is more than like a little 
flip. So I could see Klopp saying, do you want to keep taking these? And if Mo gave him any inclination that he didn't, and I mean, he did just a week before he made the miss tell Steven Gerrard, I don't like taking penalties in matches. Right. Which was shocking like, to me. Which was blew that, my like, mind too. Right. Because like, my mind. I, 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 I feel like as a striker, like in somebody asks you that, you fucking say yes no matter what. <laughs> like, Even if you don't. Even if you yes. don't. Yes. I like putting the ball in the net. You yeah. know what I like? I like scoring. Yeah. Celebrating. I like yeah. celebrating, dude. You know what? I like taking my shirt off, man. You know <laughs> That's why? That's a wild dude, answer. Yeah, like, that made my crazy. jaw drop, dude. And I think because of that, maybe in some ways I do wonder, like, might Klopp just say, you know what, Mo, you're not off penalties. But the next one we get, if Fab's on the pitch, he's taking it. Right, because people forget how good. Oh, Fabinho's Fabinho's, penal- yeah. Fabinho's penalties. He's missed like one for Liverpool, and it was in like a friendly. Um, and then like he missed one, I think, at Monaco. And then you have Milner, of course, who has one miss in his entire professional career, and that's for Liverpool. And he and it wasn't even saved. He hit like the inside of the post, and it bounced like off the post off the keeper and didn't go in so it's like i mean for me i understand why they gave the penalties to mo i understand why mo takes the penalties i understand if klopp wants to leave him on penalties because he's a loyal guy but those those weren't like a guy (laughs) jumping to the right way i mean one is still traveling upwards and the other one he kicked it and he kicked the ground before the ball went left of the post because yeah. he knew it the moment he hit it. And I never felt yesterday like there was a better chance Jesus was going to walk in and ask for a side of freaking my mom's potatoes at Easter dinner yesterday than there isn't was. Isn't it weird how you penalty. can? Isn't it weird how you can suss out a peak of a miss by just the run up? Like you can just feel it. Like in like the last two, just. Felt like you're like, oh, dude, he's he's gonna not make this. Like, ah, uh. ah. Uh, well, speaking of a tough run up, there's no other way to wrap up a show other than to take a shot at Jesus and Mo Salah in the same comments about missing a PK or showing up and asking for my mom's potatoes at Easter. Just over day. here, elbow and um, refs back. Elbowing people back. We didn't go into that topic because honestly, I don't know what there is to say about it because <laughs> on one level, I know it was terrible. I and I wanted to talk about it, but I didn't. On the I other like hand, how, I heard I like how upset it makes Roy Keane. You know? Well, like it makes so many people upset, but then there were a lot of people today that were just coming out like seriously, like a lot of people, like ex-players, just being like do you know how much worse this shit happened between us and refs during like games and matches? And there right, was no, but doesn't that kind of feel like that kind of feels like, I know get off like my, my dad's generation. It's like, Oh, we had it. We no, we, ne- we didn't get offended by anything. And then they turn around and see TV. Right. holding hands and they're like, right. what? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, right, you know, right. like, well, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's right up there with like, yeah, it's it, it is it is one of those situations. It's like, well, it was tough when we played. We wore leather helmets and this and that, and right. they were like, and and 
and you all, freaking you, Bob. You also, everyone was also slow as fuck. <laughs> like, I was just going to say, and Bob Cousy was a world-class point guard. And if Bob yeah. Cousy got on the court today at UMass, the fucking college kids would run him off the campus, <laughs> let alone the players on the actual team. They'd be like, old oh, man, you ain't playing. He's like, what? I'm a Hall of Famer. And they'd be like, Dribble that thing in front of you again. I'll kick that ball into the fucking fifth row. Like, that's the game changes, right? Everything changes. That's what I don't understand. But, all right. So, as always, we appreciate you checking us out tonight. Um, another great week for Liverpool. In my opinion, it was a good week. We said how many points did they need out of those nine. And I think we all said seven. They ended up with four. They Actually, they ended up with two. They genuinely should have probably had four, um, maybe even six. You know, two seven, like they got close to what they but needed. It was, it was tough. It was a tough week. And this is where we're at. We just have to rebuild and rebound. And I think Klopp keeps talking about it now. It's all about putting together a string of, of results. And we do have a run of matches going into um, the end of the season that we can put up some points. I don't know where we'll finish in the table. I don't think it's about finishing in the table as much as it is how we finish playing as a club and like where the players' minds are leading into the break. So with that, we will say good night. Please thank you. Um, like, share, give us comments, give us all that good stuff. If you have any feedback, let us know. Anything from North Carolina, Paul, before we wrap up? No, I just like what you said. I'm not even looking at the table. I just want performances in like some sort of attractive football, please. Attractive football, please. That's all we're asking for, Liverpool Football Club. It's not that much. Have a great night, everyone. We will be back Thursday night with the Thursday podcast and, of course, the fantasy show. As always, don't forget to check out Wednesdays and Fridays and Mondays, 10 Central, 9 Eastern for the Morning Coffin Show with Tamuchin and friends. And who knows? Maybe he'll even show up next Monday. Just maybe. <laughs>